This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, well, let's get to work tonight. And we want to pick up in our Bible study in this mighty book of Revelation. And last Wednesday night, we were wrapping up verse number 18. And uh, I want to pick back up with that verse and go into verse number 19. So if you have that place, we hope that you're ready to follow along with us in the Word and take some notations as well. It'll help you in your study to come. All right, so this, this is an incredible book. It requires a lot of study, a lot of time to prepare. And I have, it seems like that's, uh, I've been saturated with this particular uh, aspect of our study, and it surely has kept me busy. All right, so let's look at this. John 1, 18. Now, if you have a red-letter edition Bible, you always remember that when you see the red letters, that's Jesus himself doing, uh, doing the speaking. So I want to reread verse 18 to launch us into verse number 19. And the scripture says, Jesus speaking, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, if you cross-reference this and you go back to verse number 11, verse 19 is almost verbatimly the same instruction that Jesus gave John as he spoke these words in verse number 11. Because he said, What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches. And then in verse number 19, he says, Write the things which thou hast seen. So basically... The Lord Jesus has given him two commands to write. Verse number 11 and verse number 19. And he says, the things which are, look at that. And that particular statement is in reference to things that pertain to the church. And so if you're making notations, it would be a good place to put that in the margin of your Bible or perhaps uh, in um, the, the pad or whatever it is you're using to take notes. Now, so it's in reference to the church. Now, if you notice this, uh, it says the things which shall be hereafter. I want you to look at this. This is talking about the things that will happen on the earth after the church is taken out. Now, you know very well that when the rapture takes place, and we believe in the rapture, we believe that's the next prophetic event on God's calendar, the rapture. And, it, and it's imminent. It could happen at any moment, and it could happen at any time. When the rapture takes place and the church is evacuated, the church is called out, caught up, taken out, the Holy Spirit will also be taken out as well. And so that's when the tribulation starts. I, I, I teach 
Bible prophecy every, every January. And you know that for the church, the body of Christ, when the rapture takes place according to the word of God, we will meet the Lord in the air immediately. Seven years of tribulation begins on this earth. After the tribulation, seven years of tribulation, the Lord Jesus comes back in the revelation. The revelation will last. It's called the millennium for 1,000 years. And at the end of the millennium will be the time of the great white throne judgment. We'll be in the endless ages as uh, many great songs uh, proclaim and as well as the word of God. And so that's what Jesus is referring to when you read this statement, the things which shall be hereafter. And so really and truly, when you read this passage, verse number 19 is the key to help us understand the entire book of Revelation. Uh, and uh, it, it breaks those things down for us. Now, verse 20 we start getting a little complicated here, and this is this is pretty much where uh, we really have to pay attention and perk up and uh, to listen to the teaching, and then you can go back and study it again, uh, and maybe perhaps the third or fourth, fifth time, some of it will start to register. But I try to give it to you as simply as I can uh, in the presentation. But verse number 20, let's read it. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand. It's amazing. It's interesting how that the, the scriptures uh, are continually emphasizing the right hand of Jesus. Just last Wednesday night and the week before that, we talked about how John fell at his feet as though he was dead. And Jesus touched him with his right hand and said, fear not. Here in this scripture, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. I'm going to break this down for you in a minute, so stay with me. And the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. Okay. So the seven stars, when the scriptures talk about the angels in this connotation, it's talking about pastors. It's talking about people who are in spiritual leadership. It's talking about messengers. That's what this is talking about. It's not in reference to Gabriel and Michael and that kind of thing. This is talking about God's messengers. And in several places of scripture, they are referred to as angels. And this word angel, again, is not uh, a created being that was created by God in the heavens. This is, this is a messenger. This is his, his pastor, his, his uh, spokesperson. And those who proclaim the word, and all of us have a responsibility to do that. The scriptures teach us to let us all let our lights so shine. So theoretically, we are all ambassadors of Christ. We are all messengers. We are all witnesses. We are all commissioned to be witnesses unto the ends of the earth. 
All right. Now, the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. So we have to keep this in mind where this is going. These seven churches were seven literal churches who had pastors, who had messengers, spokespeople for the Lord. All right, so the seven golden candlesticks here. Now, they are the seven churches, and they represent, this is important, these churches that, that Jesus is speaking of in this passage, they represent time from Pentecost to the rapture. That, that space of time, that's what they represent. Now, again, John is using symbols. He uses signs and symbols all throughout this book, and that's as something that has to keep us on our toes in our study. We have to keep this in mind, too, that John is the only one who had looked upon the glorified Christ at this point. Now, it says this. Let me read the latter part of verse 20 again. We'll get into chapter 2. The seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. All right. Now, as we move into chapter 2, the Lord is speaking again, and he says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. All right, he's talking about to the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Keep in mind, these seven churches were seven literal churches in seven different literal places, and they had seven different literal pastors. Now the Lord is going to deal with this church, the church of Ephesus. And he's talking and he's speaking and he says unto the angel or the messenger or the spokesman or the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. So again, the seven stars representing seven pastors and the seven candlesticks representing seven churches, all right? Uh, and by the way, let me say this about Ephesus. There are seven churches here that we're going to be talking about. Ephesus was the chief city in the province of Asia, and it was filled with, it was consumed with idolatry. Idolatry was everywhere. In fact, in Ephesus, the entire city was built around the temple of Diana. And the, the spiritual leaders that worked in the temple of Diana, who were leading the people astray into paganism, they hated the Apostle Paul with a passion. In fact, if they had their way at that point in time, they would have annihilated him. Now, something about the temple of Diana or Diana herself, um, we know that she was a false god, a pagan god, a made-up god. She was an idol built and made by men, and she was the most sacred idol and all of heathenism. So she was elevated to a place where there was none like her. You know, the scriptures teach us about Yahweh, 
about our God, that he is the Lord our God and there is none like him. These evil people in Ephesus were teaching that there was no other God but Dinah and there was none like her. She was worshiped by more people than any other idol in existence. Now let me give you the scripture going back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse number three and some of these scriptures, they'll get them on the screens. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This was one of the highlighted messages that the apostle Paul was preaching and John in Ephesus. And uh, it, it was despised. And by the way, Paul came to Ephesus in his third missionary journey in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 9. The word says this, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Paul is in reference to Ephesus. He knew that the people there despised him, and he understood it to be consumed with a lot of adversaries. By the way, later on, John himself uh, was established in Ephesus as well. Let me say this about Ephesus. This is really important. I think, Danny, you've actually been there, haven't you? You've actually been to Ephesus on one of your trips with Teresa. Um, in Ephesus, there's a couple of familiar people that I want you to associate with this place. Uh, they were two devoted, consecrated believers who were well-known in Ephesus, and maybe you have heard these names before, Aquila and Priscilla. They were very devout workers in Ephesus. In fact, I want to give you uh, a scripture uh, concerning another individual who was, his name was Apollos. So in, in this town, Paul had a handful of people he could really count on, he could depend on. Aquila and Priscilla were, were very faithful, but there was another man, his name was Apollos. He was, he's not mentioned many times in the scriptures, but I want to give you two references for him. This, is a, this was a, a, a very special co-laborer with Paul in Acts chapter 19 and verse number one. And it came to pass that while, look at this, Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. All right. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 6, this is probably one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. It teaches us to be patient and to wait on God and how God is our sufficiency in all things. Paul said, I have planted. But then look at this. Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. That's a powerful scripture there. That simply means this. We are commissioned and commanded to be busy for the Lord and to do all we can. And then when we have done all we can, the word says, stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Do your part. And when you have done all your part, when you have done all God has asked you to do, all he says is stand, be faithful. The rest depends on God. God gave the increase. And so here in this writing to John, 
the Lord Jesus speaks to this church in Ephesus who was surrounded by heathenism and paganism and uh, the angel of this church or the, or the messenger of this church, he, he holds in his hand a huge responsibility. Now, the church at Ephesus was the only church that two of the apostles addressed. And, and I found that interesting. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 and 19, one of which was Paul, and he writes this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And so this was, this was an admonishment to the church at Ephesus. And then John, John wrote, when the church of Ephesus was in a great crisis, it was a very dark time. So here's the thing that I want you to understand about Paul and John. Paul wrote to the church. John wrote to the angels of the church or the pastors or the messengers of the church. Both had significant presentations. So Paul wrote to the church. John wrote to the messengers of the church. But we cannot forget that Christ is the head of the church. That's where we have to uh, gather our thoughts. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18, the word says, And he, being the Lord Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. All right. So now, Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 2. This is significant. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. All right, I want us to look at this. First of all, the beginning of verse number two deals expressively with the omniscience of God. That word omniscience means that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. And in this passage, he begins to describe everything about us, everything about these people. He says, I know every single thing about you. And that is the stating of divine knowledge. And as, as Jesus is speaking and John is writing, they were now about to be rebuked for departing from true doctrine. Doctrine is extremely important. You know, there, there are things that we might have different preferences on in the body. You, you might have a preference on music. You might like this. They might like that. You might have a preference on instrumentation. You might have preference on color carpet. You might, 
None of those things amount to a hill of beans anyway. They, none of that stuff will matter in heaven. But let me tell you something. We can, we can have all kinds of preferences. And we can disagree in brotherly love. But one thing we cannot be wrong with is doctrine. If we are wrong in doctrine, it affects the entire body. And that's where schisms and confusion comes into the church. God has given me the sole responsibility to make sure that does not happen. Now, can I perfect it? Absolutely not. But I sure can give it my all. And so these people in Ephesus, though they had a good rooting system within them, some of them were starting to leave or depart from the true doctrine. It took place in the church of Corinth, and Paul dealt with that as well. But this statement, I know thy works. He is talking specifically to believers. And it's imperative that we know that God knows everything. In fact, I've got three scriptures here I want to give you real quick here. Psalms 139, verse 2 and 3. Thou knowest my downsetting, mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 20, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. In Matthew 10 and verse number 30, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. So when Jesus is speaking and he comes into this uh, beginning of his rebuke, uh, he is emphasizing the fact that there is absolutely nothing that can escape him. He knows everything about us from A to Z. Now, let me mention this. There was a time when the church at Ephesus was, was a serving church. They, I mean, they were people who were known to have, um, they, they were sticking by the stuff that they were consecrated. They, they did not put up with open sin. It was, it was a narrow road and they knew how to walk it. They had spiritual discernment. They, they were a godly congregation and they were able to discern false prophets or people who were claiming to be apostles, they were able to discern those things and those people who were claiming to be apostles. In fact, I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures about that. Let me mention this quickly. This is not what the, what the teaching is tonight, but you need to know, and I hope you know, I hope you have been so well taught and grounded. There are no, I don't care how many TV programs you watch, how many magazines you read, how many books you have on your your bookshelf, I don't care how many signs you pass down the road, there are no living apostles today. None. Absolutely none. In fact, there were three main credentials for an apostle. One was they had to visibly see the resurrected Lord. And I don't know anybody on the earth that's done that. So that disqualifies people from the very beginning. But nevertheless, 
this church at Ephesus had way, well, because people, see, they were coming into the work. They were coming into the church and they were calling themselves apostle so-and-so and apostle so-and-so. And this church at Ephesus was walking at one point so close to the Lord when this kind of nonsense was happening, they were able to discern it immediately. So let me give you three scriptures here real quickly. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 29 through 30, the word says, for I know this, that after my departing, Jesus said, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. This church in Ephesus was able to spot on, check that, and call it into question. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 2, Paul said this, If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of my apostleship are ye in the Lord. And then he also said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And the church at Ephesus was spot. There was a time, listen, their radar was up all the time. They could smell it a country mile off when people would come into the church and present themselves to be something that they were not. They had that spiritual discernment. All right, now look at verse number three. And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. If you get the idea here, Jesus is, he's commending. He's sharing a lot of great qualities that these believers in the church of Ephesus had. And he is saying, listen, I'm not going to leave any of this stuff out. There was a point in time you did great things. You did great stuff. You were sticking by the stuff. You had great discernment. You had a great love for me. And Jesus said in verse 3, and has borne and has patience and for my sake has labored and has not fainted. Jesus continued to compliment them that they had been faithful and steady, that they were workers, that they had not fainted, that they had persevered, that they were the real deal. They were the real McCoys. And then verse four, nevertheless, you see, Jesus is saying now, this church in Ephesus, there was a time when you did remarkable things, not in your flesh, not for your glory, for my sake. And you were really close to me. And I was really close to you, and we had an amazing relationship. And he begins to list all of their great qualities. But then the tide goes out in verse number four. Jesus said, nevertheless, or however, and it all comes to a screeching halt. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. All right? After the praise, the Lord Jesus had a criticism. 
This church had got to a place where they had left their first love. How did that happen? How, how did something so good start to go sour so fast? How, how did something that was on the upward trends with the Lord, how did it begin to go south very quickly? How did that happen? I can only imagine that they started getting away from the main things, the important things. They started get, getting away from pure doctrine. They started getting away from their evangelism, soul winning. They started getting away from the fact that they needed to be serving the Lord. They started getting away from the fact that they were unified. Let me say this about you. Do you know that unity in the body of Christ is essential? When, when, there, when there is not unity, you see, the Bible calls unity being in one accord. And when things are not in one accord, things are in discord. And when things are in one accord, God can use and work. He can use us and he can work in supernatural mighty ways. Acts chapter 2 says when the people were in one accord, revival broke loose. People were being saved left and right. I think people were getting away from, from evangelism. They were getting away from their service. They were getting away from their unity. They were getting away from their faith. They were getting away from their tithes and offerings. They were getting away from their personal relationships with the Lord. And that's a good place for me to say this. I got to stop. A couple of years ago, when, when we were all affected by COVID, all of us, It, 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 it shut everything down. You know the deal. You, you've been there. You lived it with me. And there was a time when we were having to broadcast the services of our ministry from my home. And we had cameras set up in my family room. We had lights and we had the camera and it was all coming to you from my house. And then they got a little bit more liberal with us. And they said, okay, you can have 10 people at the church. You can have your platform team, your people in the sound media. And then it got to be where they said, okay, you can have 25. Then it got to be where you could have 50. And here's what happened. Over that experience, many people dropped out of church. They just dropped out. And, and the story was, and, and this is where it gets a, a little, it's not funny, it's not comical, but to me in the beginning, it was frustrating, and then it turned into a little novelty, and then I, I wondered to myself, do these people really believe that I believe what they're saying? Because what happened was the many people started just watching it from home. And I get that. There was pandemonium, fear, scare everywhere. Masks, hand lotions, soaps, perfume, what, whatever. It was all, we were all doing the dance, all of us. But 
when it started to ease up a little bit and things started to come back, some people got used to the fact that it was on the Internet. And this is what happened. In those difficult days, I'm glad people had their coffee and their PJs and their and their Bible, and, and they were in comfy clothes, and they were watching the service, and they, everything was fine. But what started to happen is that even when things started loosening up a little bit, instead of some watching the service at quarter to 11, some said, well, I'll catch it at 2 o'clock. And then I'll catch it on Tuesday night. And then some started not catching it at all. And then I'd run into them in the Walmart, in the food line. And they say, oh, we, we don't go nowhere. <laughs> and they just come out of the gym, you know. <laughs> but, but they thought I believed it. Some still do. But the thing is this, you can move yourself so far in a short period of time from the truth, from, from what we know to be right, we can remove ourselves so far from the relationship with the Lord that we, our first love, we can remove ourselves so far from it that it can happen so fast. And before you know it, we have no relationship with him. None. This is what I believe. I believe some people who disappeared over COVID will never come back again. Not because they had a problem with you, you, or me, but because they got so used to being out of the way, out of the church, out of a relationship with him, that now... Anything coming down the highway in the name of religion, some people will gravitate towards. And you'd be surprised and amazed how confused and mixed up in doctrine we can be in no time. If we do not stay focused on the truth, we set ourselves up to believe a lie. And we have to remember this, that the devil is not our friend. He's a thief, and he's a liar, and he's a murderer. Well, I'm five minutes over tonight. I knew I couldn't have time to go into that next verse. We'll pick it up again next week. Does it seem like it just started to you? It seemed like to me. Yeah, I hear you. It seemed like that to me as well. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.